Welcome to What Does This Mean? Usually you'd be hearing the voices of the three pastors from Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, but instead you are hearing me. My name is Marshall Saunders, and I am the producer of What Does This Mean? This is the last episode of Season 2, and this season has been so fun for all of us because we invited a special guest every week to come in and ask questions of the pastors and share their personal stories and insights into the readings for that week. This culminated in the wonderful live podcast recording that was held during the Education Hour at Gloria Day on January 12, 2020. On this episode, we will revisit three guests we've welcomed over the course of Season 2. During the first segment, Paul D'Amico Carper, the Assistant Director of Music at Gloria Day, will discuss Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 31. During the second segment, Katie LeClaire, the Gloria Day Youth Director, will discuss Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 23. And for the last segment of this episode, Gloria Day member and treasurer Ben Finkelstein will discuss Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Join us during the season of Lent coming up in about a month for season number three of What Does This Mean? But for now, enjoy these highlights from season two. start by reading the first lesson, the first reading for the 19th Sunday after Pentecost. This is Genesis 32, 22 to 31. The same night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. I feel like names are a huge thing in this reading. Jacob becomes Israel, whatever this place was before, becomes Peniel. God is like, you can't know my name. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just wondering what, what kind of sense you make of what you guys make of names in this in this way what's what's the deal with that why the renaming why the the keeping the name 
I think it's always fun to think about how a name works in our lives because, you know, your parents probably choose a name for you that they like or that they feel somehow sings something meaningful that they want you as a child to grow into. And when a name is changed, it usually means I have re-identified myself. I've chosen something new for my life from here out. And so when someone else changes your name, this is a sign of blessing in in this text and in this culture that an outside power can change your name to say, I am going to help you re-identify who you are. You're going to see your life completely differently. And certainly the person who wrestles at, at some point we hear it's God, but at the beginning we don't hear it's a God. There's just a person there who's wrestling with Jacob saying, because you understand what it means to wrestle with me, I can bless you. And that's going to cause your whole identity to be changed. I love that. I was thinking, too, about how in this passage, these new names all mean something that in English we don't really get. Like, mm. we don't get what Israel means. Yeah. Or, you know, it's so often um, the names that they get are things that literally mean, like, Israel means, like, re- one who wrestles with God. And that's kind of lost on us as English speakers. But forever now, Jacob carries this, he's known by this very literal name, and the people will call him one who wrestles with God. Um, Isn't it wonderful to be called wrestler? Uh, you know, of all things that you could say, not blessed by God, not known by God, not sent by God, but wrestled, wrestled with God. This sense of we continue to wrestle with what is God doing in our world? What is God doing to me? What is God doing to these people around me? What does it mean to be a person of God, to wrestle with that? And I think, you know, every time we have some kind of encounter with God, we come away from that different than we were before. Maybe we don't rename ourselves, but we end up reconsidering who we are and what's our reason for being in the world. How are we in the world? What's our primary relationship? How do though how does that shift and change. And I think about my own life as I think about my life of faith, that it has really changed over time. The way I thought of myself as a confirmation student is really different than how I conceive of myself now. And some of that is maturing, of course. But I think for those of us of the faith, we really believe that God is a participant in our self-discovery and is leading us and guiding us to discover maybe new parts of ourselves, new giftedness, or even new challenges that we weren't aware of before, but somehow remake us. In this passage, Jacob is polygamous. What sense do we make of that? You know, that, that our our spiritual ancestor did something that we would consider really unacceptable. Every time we read scripture and and hear it as being a description of common life, it throws us for a loop because that is not our common life. And we would say that's reprehensible. We have to be really careful about then looking at those kinds of scripture readings and saying they're normative because we say, no, it's not. It's not what God wants for us. That's not how God wants to um, our relationships to be. 
to understand him as being an extraordinarily wealthy man who had servants, slaves maybe, and concubines and multiple wives and property is just out of our experience and not something that I think we can point to as being normative for life today. It's another reason why we just can't take every verse of scripture literally, that we really have to go with what is the big picture, what are, what are the primary messages that Scripture is trying to teach us, and then how do we take those back to Scripture in order to challenge some of the things that we now recognize are oppressive or difficult and don't lead to abundant, good life with one another and with God. And you can always have this passage in the back of your mind next time you hear someone say they are defenders of biblical marriage. All right. (laughs) Perfect. Family values. (laughs) Family values right here. Okay. Thank you for a great discussion. Let's take a quick break. Welcome back. Our second reading is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 11 through 23. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, and for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the work of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In confirmation, one of the things we do besides just 
decoding and, and deciphering the scriptures as we talk about application. And I thought I would ask a more personal question for the three of you. And I'll give you a choice because in confirmation, we also say, I'm not just going to have you answer one question. So this this prayer, um, is there someone in your life that you found yourself over, all, over your years of ministry praying this prayer for? Or can you think of someone in your life who you're pretty sure prayed this prayer over you as you grew in your faith? And I would ask this, like if we were in a small group setting and these are big Christian words, they're big thoughts and concepts. And if someone had problems deciphering it or kind of understanding, I might help people make sense of it by saying, oh, just take it in total. Who in the beat of your heart would you ever pray something for someone to know the power of God's riches and to know the inheritance of the saints? Does anybody have anybody that they think of that you've prayed for these words or that you pretty sure prayed these words for you? I do have a person that was in the congregation I first served in Illinois, and she had just gone through awful things in her life, terrible um, dysfunction in her family when she grew up and then a, a really rough marriage. And she was frightened all the time of everything. And I remember wanting her to just have the confidence that comes in God's love for her, that sense of saying, Christ has conquered, death has no more dominion over you, that, you know, that whole sense of this Ephesians passage is like the counter to the Daniel passage. To me, it's, it's, God is reigning. God will reign. God already reigns. And you've already been claimed. You've already been marked for God's love. And to just, I prayed for her so, so much that she would have the peace that would come from knowing she was safe in God's love, no matter what. Mm-hmm. I think I've talked with countless people who really don't believe that they're part of God's world, that they're somehow outsiders, whether it's because something they did that they just cannot forgive themselves for or let go of, or just from a deep feeling that they're not a part and somehow so broken. And I have so many times prayed for people just to trust that you've been claimed you've you're you're part of it this is done it's it's over you're in there is no more in and out you know that i i hate when we fall into those categories of insider and outsider um because i don't think that's part of how it all ends in our last little segment we talk about where does it all go and i think it all goes with god gathering us so to for praying for people to trust that you're really loved, not just loved, but lovable, that there is so much in you that is delightful and good and brings something to the world that nobody else can. I've been thinking a lot lately about the future of the church and thinking about what the church is going to be like in 30 years. And um, when I'm nearing retirement and reading about the kind of precipitous decline of the mainline Protestant churches. And and I think this is my prayer for the church, just that I, I mean, I really believe this stuff. <laughs> I think all of us know what it's like to feel crushed 
and and to need to find resurrection in the wake of that. And and all of us have had some experience of finding resurrection actually after a moment of despair. And I think that is a pattern for us, um, a pattern for the world that we need to cling to every day. And I think that's kind of the heart of the Christian story. And I feel like that's sort of getting lost in this decline of the church. We're all sort of moving toward a self-help kind of world where we can get everything we need on our own and we actually don't need. There's an app for that. Yeah. Yeah. Like we actually don't need this church thing to Mm -hmm. find what we need. And I just really disagree. And, um, And so this is my prayer for the church, just that the whole that the whole church would would realize what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power for us who believe. And I feel really sad that so many of my own peers have sort of drifted away from whatever faith they were raised with. And my prayer is that that people will find their way back to this to this story. Let's pause there and take a little break. Welcome back. Our reading from the gospel is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Yeah, this is a familiar passage to a lot of us. I've never really questioned, you know, this is a great thing about this about this podcast is you start to think a little bit more critically about these things for the first time in a long time for a lot of us. My my first immediate question is why is this important? Why why is it important for Jesus to be baptized and he comes to John and and John says, "Well, no, this doesn't make any sense, especially because if you if you read back even just a couple paragraphs, John is baptizing people for repentance of sins." And we kind of understand as Jesus to be free of sin. So why does Jesus come down? And they say, you know, I think I read the other, there's a couple other um, gospels, um, you know, the other interpretations of this story. And this is one that, that they do kind of say, oh, it's for righteousness. It's to, it's, it's to, or what, I forget yeah, how you to phrase fulfill it. fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about that, that word. Yeah, we've yeah, talked yeah. about that word before. 
But why is it important, I guess? That's my that's my big question. Why why does Jesus do this? I am so glad that you asked this question because I wanted to talk about this. Because what's fun to do when you've got these stories that all the Gospels tell is to set them next to each other and say, what's different between them? And Matthew's the only one that tells of this little conversation, you know, where John says, mm, I'm not sure I should do, do this. And Jesus says, you know, it's the right, it's the right thing to do, which raises that the, exactly the question that you had. Why, should, why would Jesus be baptized if he wasn't, if he didn't have sin? And I want us to totally set aside that question because the idea that Jesus was sinless doesn't develop for a couple hundred years in Christianity. It is not an idea that is present to Matthew as he's writing. And I think this is interesting. Like our ideas of who Jesus was grew over hundreds of years. And sometimes we tend to take things and then bring them back into the text. So I don't think Matthew is interested at all in, is Jesus sinful or not? I think what he's trying to show us is that Jesus is choosing to take up God's way in the world, and that for him, baptism, this going through the water as one person and coming out as another was part of his own move into ministry. I mean, this, what happens right after this is Jesus begins his public ministry. So this is the initiation of Jesus Work And I think that's more important than the sin question. Why do you think John did hesitate? What was that about for him? What was he saying? I don't know that you need this. Shouldn't, I be, shouldn't you be baptizing me? That's a really good question. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think, Pastor Lois? <laughs> well, I, the, the word righteousness is so interesting to me. because we and, and Matthew keeps bringing it up. We talked about this, I remember, at the beginning of Advent when um, Lois Malcolm came to Forum and started talking about Matthew's description of, of Joseph and all of it. But Joseph was a righteous man. So Joseph does what's right in that relationship, even if it doesn't seem right to the outside. So there's something about this is what the relationship is going to require of me. It's just the sense of righteousness means I'm going to do what this relationship requires. So I wonder if Jesus is asking or is, is saying to John, in order for me to be in relationship with you, I want this. Um, this is what's going to make this relationship right. Or is it the relationship with God in order to be right with the Holy Spirit somehow? Which may, you could read it maybe both ways. You talked about, Pastor Bradley, about putting the different um, gospels side by side and comparing the different tellings of the story. At the Monday morning Bible study that happened earlier this week, folks in the group pointed out that the final verse, verse 17, a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved with whom I'm well pleased. Both Mark and Luke say, you are my son, the beloved with whom I'm well pleased. And so the Bible study group is asking, it's almost like in Mark and Luke's version, only Jesus hears that voice. And in the voice is speaking to him, to Jesus. Oh, it's in his head. Yeah. um, But here it's almost as if Everyone who's witnessing this event gets to hear that voice, and it's not directed 
to Jesus, but to the whole group saying, this is my beloved. I'm not really sure what to make of all that. But I think oh, it's um, it's an interesting idea that for some reason, Matthew changes that telling. I always wonder what were the words, you know, we, we have this very powerful sense of, I baptize you into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It, what were what were John's words? What was that baptism? What were the words used about saying, I I wash you with the righteousness of God, or I wash you with a new beginning, or I, you know, your sins are forgiven, or whatever it would be. But it it would be cool to know what the words were. Well, we should probably wrap up today. Um, Thank you so much, Ben, for being with us. It was really fun to have you. Um, For those of you who are listening, we are interested in the questions you have or what you think about these texts. Feel free to drop us a note at pastors at gloriadaystpaul.org. We also thank Paul Friesen Carper for providing the music for us and to Marshall Saunders of Minnesota Podcasting for producing these podcasts for us. Join us for Sunday worship at 8.15 or 10.45 with Sunday School for All Ages at 9.30. Thank you so much for joining us today. As you go about your day, know that God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? A podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com. 